The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. everybody to another episode of Bubba and the Batflip episode 33. You can find me on Twitter at BD Intric and my co-host as always a recent winner heading to the Elite Eight. You can find him on Twitter at Batflip Crazy. Toby, how we doing man? Uh, we are doing great Bubba. Um, I mean all things considered obviously like it's always in the context of everything that's happening in the outside world but in my small little world things are doing uh, things are going well. Just reach the Elite Eight of the baseball pods, uh, best fantasy baseball podcast. Um, so that is really exciting. I mean, obviously pretty surprising. I'm a six seed. I'm the, the low or the highest seed, uh, that's left in the tournament. So I'm really excited about that. A big matchup against Roto wire tomorrow or today, uh, when most people are probably listening to this. So on Tuesday, I uh, just really appreciate all the support that people have given me. Obviously, I think that, uh, people are voting for me, but I, I hope you know that I think they're also voting uh, for you as well, because you are a critical part of of, uh, of my success and the podcast, even though it bears my name, most of the episodes are both of us talking. So, um, yes, I, I I just wanted to to send that love out there as well, because I know uh, you are uh, are an incredible podcaster in your own right, too. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. But uh, we're going to be pulling for you get you going to the elite or the final four, maybe the finals. See how it goes. Uh, it'd be fun to see you. Get all the way there and, you know, Cinderella moment. It'd be great. It'd be a lot of fun there. Totally. But, um, it's, it's what we've always dreamed of, Bubba, ever since I was exactly. uh, ever since I was a little kid. You know, people have really been, um, you know, a lot of people wanted to, like, be the star in baseball and hit the game-winning home run or shoot that three-pointer. But for me, it's always really been about podcasting. Even before podcasting existed, I knew that's what I wanted to do. Um, and so it's just amazing to, to be on the edge of, of, of something special. 
Definitely. And you, uh, <laughs> I, I got faith in you taking down Rotowire. I know they're scared. Jeff Erickson uh, and the boys are scared. So for sure, uh, they're they're claiming that I'm the that I'm the that they're the underdog. I mean, come on, let's uh, let's be let's yeah. be serious here. Yeah, they're only one of the biggest you know fantasy companies that exist. No, no big deal. No, yeah. nothing to worry about. So no, I think you got all. it though. You got it. Okay. Uh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. It's going to be tough. I'm going to need everybody's support. For, so definitely go out there and vote for me. No doubt about it. Uh, last week, we did our fantasy hopeful hitters. This week, we'll do three starting pitchers each, two relievers each, at, answer some listener questions. It's going to be a fun-filled edition. So, Toby, why don't you kick us off with your first pitcher? Yeah, so a guy that I'm hopeful on, I've been excited about him for a while. I just wish that the draft price that I was able to get him at was what it used to be earlier on uh, in the offseason, and that is uh, Dylan Bundy. Uh, obviously the trade out of Baltimore, I think is a good thing. Gets him out of the AL East, gets him out of Camden yards, which is just uh, a terrible, uh, terrible ballpark, especially for him. Uh, he's got everything that you need to be successful. I mean, he's got two truly elite p- pitches that get chases outside the zone that have swinging strike rates above uh, 20%. Um, and he made a little bit of a change uh, to his uh, repertoire towards the end of last year, started throwing a, a sinker of all pitches and really was successful in doing that. Um, And I think one of the reasons why it works for him is he's always struggled a lot with the quality of contact that he gives up. Um, And so last year he was slightly better, but one of the changes I think that he made that was key with that sinker is that his ground ball rate uh, increased. Uh, It got to about 50%, which is an elite, but which is solid uh, when he started throwing that sinker uh, more. And so you know, even when guys are making good contact with him, fewer of those balls are in the air. Few of them are going uh, for home home runs, which has really been a, a huge issue for him for a long time. And so he has everything that you need. And so what he needs is a better ballpark, which he's getting with the Angels, um, which, you know, is, is definitely going to be, uh, I think, a plus. It's not a great ballpark for him because left-handed hitters with that shortened porch, the Otani special porch, uh, there in right field uh, in in Angel Stadium. It's not the best, but it's certainly better than uh, Camden Yards. And so I really like the fact that, you know, here's a guy who has the repertoire to be really successful and he's already made one change. I think the Angels are really big on throwing sliders. So he's probably going to throw that slider even more than he has in the past. And it's an absolutely dominant pitch. Um, so I really like everything you know, going Bundy's way. I think there's a lot to be very hopeful for his fastball. He's lost velocity on his fastball. I think the last three years, um, it's pretty low down there around 91. If he can gain some velocity, I think he could be even better, but just even as is, I don't even mind the the new draft price, which is in the low two hundreds, you know, like around two ten. I think at this point in time, I still think that, you know, given he can throw innings, given the repertoire that he has, given the adjustments that he's been able to make and hopefully will continue to make with the Angels, I think there's a lot to be hopeful for uh, with Dylan Bundy heading into 2020 or 2021, depending on what happens with the season. What do you think? Yeah, there's a lot lot to like with, with Dylan Bundy. I'm a big fan of that. Uh, leaving Baltimore, leaving the AL East, never going to suck. So uh, if he can't do it here, which most of us believe he can, then – uh, then we're just lost with Bundy, but I think he's going to be a great asset this year. Like you said, his draft price just keeps uh, going up, going up, going up. So people are all aboard the Bundy train. So I'm 100 percent 
with you on that one. Uh, my guy, who we we're talking about guys' draft prices going up, going up, going up. Uh, Max Fried going around pick 128 right now, as low as 159 since March 15th when the season was put on hold. And I am a, a huge, huge Max Fried guy. When you look at his overall pitch mix, I like the fact that it's a fastball, curveball, slider, sinker, changeup. I think that sinker, four-seam, fastball combo on StatCast, I think those numbers might be a little skewed. I'm no expert here, but I think he's a lot more sinker than people think that's uh, coming up on this deal. And that's one thing that people get concerned about with Max Fried because sinkers can be troublesome unless you throw it very hard and very effective. And that's why I think the numbers might be skewed because he does throw it very hard. So it might look like a four-seamer at times, but it's more so a sinker because when you look at the his pitch leaderboard, he has a outstanding almost 55% ground ball rate, which would showcase more towards a sinker unless it's like a sinking fastball, which can be a possible as well. But um, definitely something to keep an eye on with him is the increased strikeouts uh, in the second half especially was just an outstanding change of pace. First half, 4.29 ERA, second half, 3.63, and that was a big change in his overall pitch mix. You saw the batting average drop from 283 to 251 against. Uh, the power department dropped quite a bit. And, and the strikeout rates went up, like I was saying. So lots to like there with the way Max Fried finished his season. And then um, there's just more hope as he continues to develop his pitch mix. Like I said, the changes that he made could be much better. The big problem with uh, Max Fried was the home runs he was giving up. We saw in September, September and October, he gave up almost 29% home run to fly ball. That was not good. Almost every month except August was a very rough go for it. But overall, in the second half, about less than 19% home run to fly ball. So he incre- improved there. Um, if you look at Alex Chamberlain's pitch leaderboard, I love the home run per outside fly ball or outfield fly ball because obviously a regular fly ball, if it's not in the outfield, won't be a home run anyways. So I think it's a good way to he, – he characterizes just outfield fly balls. So he gives up an outfield fly ball 16.6% of the time on the season as a whole. Home runs on those 24% of the time. So when he does give up the, the fly ball, it's usually a bad thing. That's not good. That's something that he definitely needs to improve on. But in the grand scheme of things, when you look at everything he has done, he still only gives up a 4.4% barrel rate. Uh, his actual bacon is only 359, which is doable. You you look at uh, his batting average against is 270. His batted with 336, but that correlates with a ground ball pitcher. You're going to give up a few more singles here and there. With the, the the point is a strikeout rate close to 25%, and and an overall. Uh, damage control as long as he wasn't getting up five balls. He was very, very effective. Another year older uh, in that solid Braves rotation. I'm a big Max Freed fan. I think anybody that's listening to this show or following me on Twitter long enough knows I have a lot of Max Freed this year, so I'm very hopeful on a big season for Max Freed. Yeah, I, I love that call. Uh, I'm a Max Freed fan as well, although I think you you definitely uh, are – are the, the, the bigger fan than I am, but I love all the things that you mentioned, like that barrel rate, I think is key. We think about which metrics are actually sticky year to year. And we know that barrels for the most part are kind of the stickiest um, for pitchers from year to year. And so that's really nice to see from the batted ball uh, metric. So that's really good. Love, like you mentioned, the adjustments he made in the second half, his strikeout rate increased, his walk rate went down. Um, he introduced that uh, slider uh, to a much greater extent. So for all of the reasons that you mentioned, I just think he is a, he's a really nice shout as a guy to be very hopeful for uh, heading into uh, 2020. And I also think that, like you mentioned this, like the home run per nine, the BABIP was really high. The strand rate wasn't crazy. And so I think that's actually, that's kind of refreshing a little bit to me because it shows that he can be effective even when 
with a high BABIP, even with a not crazy strand rate, um, even with that home run per nine. I mean, like that feels good because those are numbers that could definitely uh, decrease. Uh, You know, he could get luckier on balls in play, like, you know, closer to his expected metrics from this past year. And so, you know, you're getting, I think, a pretty solid floor with Freed. But I think there's also that, that really nice ceiling that you mentioned. Yeah, no doubt about it. I'm with you there. Who's your number two? Uh, my number two is a guy that I love a lot, um, and that is Austin Voth of the Nationals. Uh, it's kind of uh, – I'm, I'm first of all hopeful that he's going to win the fifth starter job when there is a season over Joe Ross. I just think Joe Ross has been around for a while, and he's never really been able to put it together, whether through injury or just performance. He definitely has spurts, but he struggles the most with his, with his control – and I think Voth has really everything that you want out of a starting pitcher. He was really good um, in the innings that he threw last year. Uh, the, the metrics were just really nice. First of all, starting with the repertoire, I mean, he's got three pitches with a 15% or higher swinging strike rate. His curveball has a 21% swinging strike rate. His cutter has a 16.7% uh, swinging strike rate. And his changeup has a 17% swinging strike rate. So those are relatively small samples in the majors. I think he threw like 50 innings last year. But still really nice to have those three pitches that he can rely on. I know that he's very analytically oriented. If you look at some of his quotes during the spring, he was talking about you know the use of his four-seam fastball, where he wanted to locate that in the zone. Um, he was also talking about doing some work on his pitches in the off season, some pitch design, which is always nice to hear, I think, from guys. But then you look just across the board, like his CSW called plus swinging strike rate, 30.1%, so better than league average. His swinging strike rate was 12.9%, better than league average. His in-zone contact rate at 79.9% was really strong. His strikeout rate was at 25.3%, and I know on Alex Chamberlain's uh, leaderboards, it was actually his expected K percent was a little bit higher than that. Walk rate was manageable at 7.5%. He was in the zone a decent amount, getting ahead of pitchers at about a league average rate, getting chases outside the zone at a, at a league average rate. As the number five starter in a really good Nationals team, I think there's an opportunity for wins if he gets there. So I think eventually he's going to be the fifth starter for the Nationals. I think there's a ton of value there, especially where he's going You know, in the mid-300s in most drafts. He's actually one of my most owned pitchers so far this year and a guy I'm super hopeful on. Uh, when we start seeing baseball again. Yeah, he's a fun one because, A, his value is basically free, and the upside's huge. You sold me on him a long time ago that uh, if you're taking s- some stabs late in drafts, I have no problem. Like Austin Voth, I think there's definitely a spot there. And if he can't beat out Joe Ross, and he just wasn't worth being on your roster to begin with is the way I look at it. So if the talent is what it is, then he should definitely uh, be a potential breakout like you were talking about. I'm with you there. All right, my number two is uh, Mitch Keller. I know he's popular with many, but this is a guy similar to Freed that I have been on from the get-go, and it's more just I I go back to prospect pedigree. That's one thing I I point at over and over again because throughout the minors, he's been solid, solid, solid time and time again. He's had a few injuries as setbacks, but the guy has been as reliable as they come. He was pitching great in AAA last year. Over uh, almost 11K per nine, ERA at 3.56, XFIP at 3.87. But in the bigs, he struggled in 48 innings pitched. Uh, the strikeouts were there. The walks were about the same, but um, he, he was a, a mess. 7.13 ERA, but a 3.47 XFIP. So there's like some hope there. His, his home run of five ball in the minors, 
in the bigs, 13%. So there's, there's little things to look at that he could have just gotten unlucky. And you look at uh, certain things with, with these young kids I like a lot as a good pitch mix. He has at least three pretty good good pitches, a four-seamer, a slider, and a curveball he uses 16% of the time or more. It mixes in a changeup from time to time. But that slider and curveball have been uh, decent. Not great, but they've been decent. Um, I, I use Chamberlain's pitch leaderboard a ton. I've been digging in on it over the weekend. And when you, I love when you, um, you can break down the different pitches, obviously, in each situation and the swinging strike rates on each pitch and, and so on and so forth. And you look at uh, a guy like Mitch Keller and his pitch mix, he's got uh, the slider gets a, a swinging strike rate of almost 21%. The, uh, the curveball, a little over 13%, which would be great. It's just his fastball is not that good. Uh, it's a fast fastball. It's over 95 miles an hour, which is nice and all, but um, only an 8% swinging strike rate, which is less than ideal, obviously. And if he can improve on that, I think that'll help tremendously. If he can rely on that slider more, maybe the curveball as well, I think he will. And a lot of that has to go with what the, the, the talk over spring with the, the new coaching in Pittsburgh. We've, we've heard Musgrove talk about it, Tyon, Archer, Keller, they've all been raving about these the, the new way of pitching. They're actually using technology and other things. I know it's a <laughs> shocker that, that that teams aren't doing any things, but they're actually doing things to make themselves better. It's it's quite a novel concept. I know it's crazy, but like when you just get into more of it, the the, the fastball that Keller throws, he gets over twenty three percent fly balls, where everything else is below that. And you look at his slider, a forty eight percent ground ball rate. His curveball, a seventy two percent ground ball rate. I know they're small sample sizes, but you can kind of start to see what's been effective, what, what isn't. And it's just a matter of maybe locating the fastball better, using the slider more effectively, mixing in the curveball. I, I think just overall changing of the pitch mix can be tremendous. And I know um, they're going to work with that on him. So I'm not going to go crazy, crazy deep on a guy like Keller because, you know, barrels, he got barreled 7.5% of the time. His deserved barrels 54 a lot of his numbers were a lot lower. That's just simple. When you when you go as crazy as he did with a ERA over seven, but an exit of three, like three seven, you're gonna have a lot of uh, positive regression coming your way. So where he's going in drafts after pick two twenty and uh, the upside that he brings there's, you know, we're talking about Dylan Bundy. Obviously, Bundy's older than Keller, but same kind of prospect pedigree in theory. That they are both high end prospects. The talents there is just can they get it to work with the right staff, right philosophy. Uh, Mitch Keller, for me, is a guy that I think can take that next step and go in a big, big way. Don't forget, you know, guys like Tyler Glass now was with Pittsburgh. It, it was like Keller, Glass now, and Tyon were supposed to be the big three coming up together. Tyon's hurt again. Glass now is obviously uh, a part of one of the most mismatched trades in baseball history in Tampa Bay now. And then you still have Keller there. So I think Keller takes that next step this year. He won't be asked to be the ace because you have Archer and, and Musgrove ahead of him. But he can still be a nice three, three or four in that Pittsburgh rotation, and he'd be like your four or five in your fantasy rotation. I think he's he's very, very solid there. I think he's got tremendous upside. If we're talking about guys that you get late that can be like an SP two, uh, if everything clicks right, Mitch Keller's got that kind of talent. So I'm, I'm a big Mitch Keller fan. Yeah, you know, this is a hopeful podcast, Bubba. I think you highlighted some reasons why he could be super successful. I'm not as hopeful on Keller. He hasn't been a target of mine, but um, I can see. Uh, I can see all the reasons for, uh, for, for Mitch Keller love for sure. All right. Who's your number three. All right. My number three is a guy who, God, the more I look at him, the more I really, really like him, um, is Spencer Turnbull, uh, of the Tigers, uh, Turnbull towards the end of last year is what got me really excited. So he had a major change in his pitch mix, 
um, towards the end of last year. So over his last five games, he dropped the usage of his sinker uh, 13% from 26% of his pitches down to 13% of his pitches. Um, his four-seam fastball is actually really good. Um, well, I mean, I shouldn't say really good. It's not as atrocious as his sinker, and it gets a decent swinging strike rate. It was also his velocity was at uh, where it was towards the end of last year, which I think is good. It was there during spring training. So I think with the usual slight increase in velocity that happens across a season about one mile per hour, he would be looking at having a velocity that was higher uh, than he was at last year. Um, But during that time that he faded his sinker, which is by far his worst pitch, um, his strikeout rate was 29.4% over those five games. His walk rate dropped to 6.9%. So you're looking at about a 23% K minus walk rate over that period of time. His O swing also jumped his chase rate up to 35%, which is great. His swinging strike rate was above 12% during that period of time. And so there was a ton of changes that he made, um, or not a ton of changes, but one really important change that he made towards the end of last year, which I think bodes super, super well for him moving forward. I also think the Tigers are actually, have actually been pretty good on the analytical uh, front. And um, I love what you said about Keller, like, and, and just how much the analytics changes the game. The Tigers have been kind of sneaky in this regard, but a lot of their pitches have, Pitchers have done a really good job of integrating um, uh, analytics into their pitching. You think about a guy like Matt Boyd, uh, but Turnbull is a guy. So how bad was his sinker last year? It had an WRC plus of 175. It had a WOBA against of 420. Compare that to his four-seam fastball, which had a 109 WRC plus and a 321 WOBA. And you look at the swinging strike rate, only 5.6% on that sinker and 10.7% on the four seam fastball, as well as a six and a half percent better chase rate. So for all those reasons, ditching the sinker and going more to the four seam fastball, which has been a pretty effective pitch for him would be really, really helpful. And then he's got the slider with a 15.3% swinging strike rate, a decent chase rate and the curveball as well, 12% swinging strike strike rate, but so not terrific, um, but gets a decent chase rate as well. Um, and so for those reasons, I really like uh, Spencer Turnbull. I think he's a guy who can take uh, another really big leap uh, toward uh, next year just by continuing to fade that sinker, doing a lot what he did towards the end of last year. If he eliminates it completely, if the velocity is up a little bit, I think he has uh, even greater chance to take that next step. So Turnbull is a guy that I really like uh, heading into uh, next baseball season. Turnbull is a really interesting one. He's one that I streamed a lot last year at times in DFS. I'd use in certain spot starts. He'd have like really, really good days and really, really rough days. But like you pointed out, there's a lot to to be hopeful for there. So I don't, I don't blame you at all. I think it could be quite interesting with the bowl. Um, my third guy is Sandy Alcantara. I'm going to pick 260 right now. And this is a guy that a couple things I like. Uh, I mentioned with Keller, he's got three pitches. We, most most starters, I've written about this before, most relievers have two really good pitches. If you can add a third, that's outstanding. Most starters have three to four pitches. If they don't, we've talked about it before, they can get ugly at times, like really ugly. What Alcantara does, he throws just four-seamer 30%, sinker almost 28%, slider over 21, change up 12. Like that's outstanding. He mixes in a curve even at times. He really does a lot of uh, really nice things with his pitch mix. And one thing that really, really stood out last year is his pitch mix changed in the second half and resulted in, in more strikeouts. Cause that's kind of the bugaboo with Alcantara is like, okay, it's fine and dandy, 
but he doesn't strike a lot of guys out. Now, if you look at the second half, 20% K rate compared to 16% in the first uh, half. And what's great is he kept improving each month. He went from 14-7 to 15-4, 17-6, 18-6, 21, 20.5. So he dropped a little bit the last month. But still, he, he kept improving as the season went on. And then he also kept improving in the walks department because first half, 10.8% walk rate, second half, 84 But in the month of September and October, a 5.3% walk rate, by far his best month of the entire baseball season. So one of his best strikeout months, he had a K to walk rate of 15.2% in September, which was outstanding. And again, it correlated with this pitch mix change. And, and I think it's something that he can definitely keep building on going into the season. Another thing I love about Sandy Alcantara when you're getting a guy a pick 260-ish, and he went almost 200 innings last year. Like, that is reliable and durable. Obviously, anything can happen. But usually these late pitchers that you're going after, you, you're thinking like 160, 170 innings. It's going to be kind of a rocky road. He gives you almost 200 innings. Still had an overall ERA of 3.8. If you look at his exit, not as ideal. But uh, when you dig into his uh, his pitch leaderboard, it's a massive ground ball profile that you're seeing here. Almost a 46% ground ball rate, which is outstanding. Only 24% fly ball rate. And he looks up 13 home runs per fly ball, which is out, or 13% home runs per fly ball, which I think is outstanding. A 6.5% barrel rate. Again, on a massive uh, ground ball guy, that is really, really solid stuff. Uh, 272 BABIP when you're almost a 46% ground ball rate is out, a 46% ground ball guy is outstanding as well. So, I'm a huge fan of uh, Sandy Alcantara. It gets not flashy, but I believe in the changes he made in the second half. And if all of a sudden he can bring more strikeouts to the table, big things are going to happen. We saw him go deeper into games in the second half as well. And uh, he, he beat some good competition in the second half. I remember that for a fact in that AL East race. He, he was taking on some big boys with little backing in Miami, of course. So Sandy Alcantara, around 260, uh, I'm a big fan of that. Yeah, I love that shout too. I mean, he was uh, he was a much better pitcher. It was so interesting. You mentioned that sinker, like the sinker actually generates a higher swinging strike rate than the four seam fastball. It generates a higher chase rate, a lower contact rate, and then you mentioned the ground ball rate, sixty five point one percent. At least when I uh, I did a tweet back in September about him. It was generating that level of ground ball rate. So like you mentioned, just just a really important change that he made there. And I really like Alcantara as well. And I think what you highlighted there with the innings pitched is also key. Like he's a guy that'll give you volume. And he's also had that change up, which has been, you know, at least when he was in the bullpen, it was a pretty dominant pitch. It's not there necessarily as a starting pitcher yet, but you could definitely see him getting there with time. And I think the velocity results in a lot of the really good batted ball outcomes that you mentioned. Like he throws incredibly hard and that's going to make it so that guys are, are have a more difficult time making good contact on him. So love the shout for uh, Alcantara. Thank you much. Uh, let's head to the bullpen now and we'll go over a couple of bullpen guys each. So who would be your first uh, reliever? Yeah. So not going to be a surprise to anybody who listened to our uh, closer preview or our relief pitcher preview, but I really like Jose uh, Leclerc. Um, in the Rangers bullpen. First of all, I think he's got the big contract already. Uh, he's already getting paid. So I think he is going to have the first shot at that job. And I think he's going to have a pretty long leash in doing that. Um, he wasn't great towards the second half. I mean, he was much better in the second half last year once he seemed to uh, make adjustments, you know, a 386 uh, ERA um, and, the uh, you know, continues to strike guys out. 
Um, he was he was pretty good. He got a decent number of saves, but really, like we've seen that this guy in the past has been able to be elite. Um, he's got a really nice fastball, um, which is always helpful. He's got the really nice. I want to say it's. I don't have it in front of me, but I want to say it's the um, changeup that's really nasty that he has. Tell I me the changeup. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The changeup and and splitter, so a different kind of changeup. Um, so those are the two dominant pitches, but they've been really dominant. I mean, you, I mean, you look at 2018, they were both over 20% with a four-seam fastball with 11% swinging strike rate as well. The four-seam actually had a higher swinging strike rate, but the splitter and the chain jump weren't as good. I know from reading some articles early on, he was definitely working on that changeup um, and that splitter uh, this year to improve. So I think it's just an, an opportunity guy where he's got, uh, I think, a clear opportunity at saves. Uh, he's got a pretty good situation with the Rangers. I mean, they're not going to be awful. Um, they're not going to be great, but I think they'll be good enough to get a number of saves. And where he's going in drafts, I like him, you know, around like pick 150 or so the last time I looked, maybe sometimes even falling uh, a little bit uh, below that. So I like him as a guy who, you know, ideally would be your your second closer that you're getting. But, you know, if you're in a pinch and you decide to to kick saves uh, down the road a little bit, I wouldn't mind having him as my as my first closer either. Although obviously that wouldn't be an ideal situation, but he's a guy that I'm really hopeful on just because I think he's done it before. I think he got really unlucky last year. You see that with some of the expected metrics for him, and so I think uh, he'll have better luck this year. And either uh, and and he'll be a, a really nice nice guy to own. Yeah, nothing wrong with Leclerc at all. Uh, mine is a, a little higher up the draft board. I pick one fifteen. But I'm going to keep going back to this well and go with Edwin Diaz. I'm very hopeful on an Edwin Diaz bounce back because if you look at his numbers, it was mind-boggling to me what took place. When we look at uh, the stuff, as you could say, it was the same, if not – I'm not going to say better, but it was the same as the year before. Velocity-wise, his fastball was both around 97 to 98 miles an hour. Slider was 89 to 90, similar to uh, the previous season where he just lit the world on fire. The weird stuff you look at, his zone rates were the same, his swing rates were the same uh, for the most part. His whiff rates were like 2% less, like really not, still at almost 38%. Um, the only things that really stood out surprisingly to me, in 2018, ground ball rate of almost 47%. It was down to 37 in 2019, and that correlated to a almost 30% fly ball rate and almost a 28% line drive rate, so that went way up. And his pull percentage, we talk about it time and time again, pull power, that's a big, big deal it went from 33% to 42.6%. That is a massive, massive change in more fly balls, more pull balls. Like that's a, a big reason why you can see things kind of go through the roof because otherwise a lot of similarities. And um, you look at his, his advanced metrics here with Chamberlain, it, it's really telling because he had like a, over a thir- almost a 31% K to walk percentage. So that was very effective. Still walking a decent amount, but not bad. But you look at you know 244 ISO, that just seems bizarre. 377 BABIP. Everything that, that they were hitting on him was crazy. His flare burner rates went up, um, 37% ground ball rate, but like a 31.6% home run to outfield fly ball. That is something that's just not going to be maintainable against a guy like uh, Edwin Diaz. When you look at his uh, fly ball rate of 29.6%, so he's given up 29.6% fly balls and almost 32% of those go out of the ballpark. That is pretty – that's called running hot, running really hot. Uh, I'm not saying he didn't get hit hard. He got hit very hard. But a lot of it's uh, the location. A lot of it was just 
I'm not going to say it was all bouncy ball because they were hitting the snot out of them, but just the change from fly balls to ground balls, that's just like just missing your spot by a little bit type things. Because he's strictly a fastball slider guy, and when it's not clicking completely, it's, it's going to be an, an issue. Uh, when you look at what the fastball and the sliders did, the sliders saw the 23% swing strike rate, fastball only a little less than 16%. So they, they were getting hit, uh, hit well at times, but still super, super effective uh, slider needs to work on the fastball and, and go from there. But I, I think there's a bounce back. I don't see how he could be that bad again when the stuff was just the same as the year before. And it, it was just a tweak, basically more pulled fly balls, less ground balls. And it correlated to a lot more powers. The thing I get out of it could be totally wrong, but uh, Edwin Diaz is the guy I'm hopeful on. Awesome. Yeah. I think that's a great shot as well. And it makes me wish that I had included on my list um Kenley Jansen because he's definitely a guy that I'm hopeful on as well another guy who seemed to get uh, a decent amount of bad luck his way last year and and I think a lot of people are giving up on um yeah the guy the other two that I have I actually added one last minute I hope that's okay as you know I like to be long-winded the first one is not going to be a surprise to anybody uh it's Hansel uh, Robles uh he's so hot right now I've talked about him before so I won't go too much into it but massive pitch mix change in the middle of last year. Uh, he bumped up his uh, change up percentage all the way up to 50%. So he was, he, so he's throwing like 98, 99 mile per hour gas followed by uh, an absolutely ridiculous change up when he did that over his last 15 appearances, 40% O swing, 68% first pitch strike, 5.1% walk rate, 34% K rate. 17.6% swinging strike rate and a 80.3% in zone contact rate. So utterly dominant uh, during that uh, period of time. Uh, the changeup had a 24% swinging strike rate in August and a 21% swinging strike rate in September. So he threw his two best pitches more and he was absolutely lights out. And so I like him a lot to be very good this year and be uh, I'm hopeful on him. And then the next guy is a guy who I'm hopeful on really just because of the situation that he finds himself in. Um, there's probably not a lot of people who are hopeful about Wade Davis, but I'm going to throw him out there. Wow. As I a did guy. not expect that. One, uh, you, I didn't, I throw curveballs <laughs> all the time. You know, it's kind of like Spencer Turnbull, you know, you're looking sinker, you're looking sinker. You're like, man, this guy throws sinkers 26% of the time. And all of a sudden the sinker disappears and you are lost. That's what's happening with Wade Davis. Um, so with Wade Davis, like what it essentially boils down to is Bud Black has said that he has the job, which for me is really important for closers, like heading into the season. Number two, uh, he injured his oblique last year in early May and he was never the same after that happened. His velocity shot, everything was shot after that point. In, uh, in March and April, he was actually 10 innings pitched, uh, 12 strikeouts, uh, 0.9 uh, ERA, uh, so not uh, awful. He did walk a bunch of guys. His whip was still 1-4. Uh, he had like a 16% walk rate over that way. So it, wasn't, it definitely wasn't you know uh, heaven in uh, March and April with Wade Davis either, but... You know, if you can get a guy who's got the closer job uh, at pick 280, I've gotten him a couple times around there. You know, I just think you got to take it because, you know, if he sucks, then you drop him and maybe you pick up Scott Oberg, you know, just thinking, hey, if he's as bad as he was last year, he's only going to last a couple weeks. Uh, pick up Oberg really late in your draft. Uh, see if he gets the job too. But 
with Davis, like, you know, stranger things have happened than a guy who used to be a really good closer having one down year and coming back a little bit better. Yes, he's old. Do I think it's going to happen? Probably not. But I can at least be hopeful of the fact that he has a closer's gig and uh, and he could do well. And that's enough hope for me to go after Wade Davis at the, at the cost uh, that he's at right now. Yeah, it's uh, he's free. He's definitely free and potential save. So I'm not going to... Not going to knock it. There's definitely a hopeful, hopeful go for it there, and definitely shocked me. That's all I'm going to say. Shocked me. You you handled the curveball well, though. Handle Hansel Robles. I expected. That's why I didn't put him on my list. I left (laughs) him for you. Like I, I, I I left him for you. I have him in a lot of places. Like nope, that's Toby's guy. Leaving that one alone. But um, did not see Wade Davis coming. That was good. Um, My final one, like Joe Jimenez, is one I'm big on in a, a kind of hopeful way, but. The guy I'm going to mention going really, really deep, late draft, doesn't even technically have the job yet, but he should. It's at the Baltimore Orioles, and that's Hunter Harvey. I think this is a guy that's definitely a late-round draft pick that I'm trying to snag in a lot of places. I know I, I know that the, the news came out early in spring that they're kind of hoping he's the guy. Technically, Gibbons is still there, but uh, Harvey's the guy I want. And, and things I like to see is people say, well, he struggled in the minors last year. I said, okay, sure he did. Now look at it deeper if you can. And what I like to see is in double A where he struggled, they still promoted him to triple A. Again, another guy, big prospect pedigree like Dylan Bundy with Baltimore. But once he got to triple A, he pretty much was strictly out of the bullpen. And they started to transition him into a different mindset. So that transition was still good enough to get him seven appearances in September. These are things I wanted to pay attention to when I saw him. And it's a super small sample in September in the bigs. But what you saw out of Hunter Harvey was a back end of the reliever type stuff, not so much a starter stuff. But he has three really good pitches that most closers will not have. And that makes me very intrigued with what he has. He has a four-seamer, a changeup, and a curveball. They're all very, very effective when he's out there uh, flinging it around. The curveball, he doesn't throw a ton. It, it, it's, it's, uh, he threw about the same as a changeup, actually. And it gets you a 10% swinging strike rate, but the fastball, almost 12% swinging strike rate, and he throws it over 98 miles an hour. So he throws absolute cheddar up there. Then he has a changeup going up there about 80, 89 to 90, and a curveball going about 83. Just those changes in velocity alone are just filthy for a closer. Absolutely dirty, because that curveball, if his fastball's locating, that curveball, he can almost bounce up there half the time, and he's going to get guys swinging and missing at it. Like It's absolutely deadly to have a situation like that. Another thing I like a lot about what he did is he gave up, I think, one home run last year in his little short outing. That was the only thing he did. He still had a um, a, a, a nice what-if ERA. I love that stat. But his strikeout rate was 42%. Should have been 37%, but still very solid there. But a 9% barrel rate in that short period of time, his deserved barrel was only 2.6. So he was limiting, like in theory, I guess he gave up hard contact if there's 9% barrels. But it wasn't like legit barrels. It, was, it wasn't deserved barrels. Almost a 55% ground ball rate to go with that strikeout rate of over 35%. He was just dirty. Absolutely dirty. I loved everything about what I saw with him. A buck 36 batting average against 200 at BABIP. Again, like obviously these numbers will go up a little bit. But what he showcased was back-end bullpen stuff. And you're getting him after pick 250 to 300, depending on what draft you're in. And he should be the, the closer by midway through to the end of the season, whatever season we get, or even in 2021, whatever you want to believe. He should be a legit closing candidate for the Baltimore Orioles going free. So I, I love Hunter Harvey. Uh, I was kind of bummed when they announced that he was kind of an option there because 
I loved what he did towards last year. I dug in on it quite a bit, and he is filthy, absolutely filthy. And the fact that he doesn't have to worry about, you know, going deep, he can just gas it up for an inning or so and just be dirty. So I'm a big Hunter Harvey fan. Awesome. That's a good shout. And it just, it just shows you, like, one of the reasons why I like waiting on closers is, is you can have a guy like Harvey where it's a small sample size, a guy like Davis – an injury for whatever reason they did really poorly the year before, but you get this massive discount and really what you need is an opportunity and for them to be a little bit lucky and have variants go their way. And you could really find yourself having a, a, a really good season and getting a lot of value out of late round guys. For sure. Let's do some listener questions now. Um, for, for those curious first, Toby, let everybody know what you're doing with some listener questions. Oh, yeah. Well, so I just wanted to try something new. I've been wanting to get into video a little bit, and I just haven't found myself with, uh, with. well, that's kind of a lie. I mean, it's not that I don't have time. It's just I've been doing other things uh, with my time, like hanging out with my family and catching up on some shows, things like that. But I really wanted to work on some videos. So I thought of this idea of doing like this one, I don't know, one question is what I was going to call it. But essentially, like soliciting questions from people on Twitter, you know, what's something you're interested in. And then I take the questions, like the four or five questions um, that I think are most pertinent, and then I throw them up on a Twitter poll. And so that people can vote for the one question that they want, you know, me to answer. And then um, whatever that one question is, I do a video. And in the video, I kind of break down a little bit, uh, both, you know, using my words as people are used to on the podcast, but then also being able to integrate some of the work that I do on Twitter with like some of the rolling average graphs and some of the, um, some of the tweets and, and, and gifts and things like that, that kind of show why I might be higher on a pitcher. So I talked about Eric Lauer in the last one. And so I used the example of his rolling average graft and the, and the velocity spike and the corresponding increase in K percentage and swinging strike rate. And then I also included a gift that showed him pump at 96, um, just to show that his velocity was up. And, and so I couldn't kind of integrate and be a little bit more creative in that space. So I did that for the first time. I just tweeted it out tonight. So if people want to take a, uh, a look at that, check it out, see what you think. But I'm going to try to do that on a fairly regular basis, not daily, but uh, on a fairly regular basis, just because I think it's, a, it's a, an important medium. It's a fun medium and a medium that I want to get uh, more into. And so uh, I appreciate um, uh, everybody for sending in questions and stuff like that. We got some really good ones. And obviously, based on it being called one question, we were only able to choose one question so now, after that really long explanation, uh, now we have the questions that didn't necessarily make it as the one question, but are very good questions in their own right. How did I do, Bubba? Not bad. Not bad at Not all. Not bad. Okay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, go check out uh, Toby's Twitter or YouTube feed there. It's really cool how he integrates some things, and uh, I think it's going to be a, a very cool series to keep, keep an eye on there. But we're going to hit up some of the uh, other questions here. At my cousin Timmy... He asks, will the shortened season make every series like the World Series and eliminate the fifth and maybe fourth starter? So what do you say, like in a postseason, a lot of teams can go to three-man rotations? I think it's a fun discussion. I've asked a lot of guests recently, how would they approach these uh, you know, rotations and whatnot with this kind of shortened season? And I, I think there's a lot of ways to go about it. What, how are you breaking it down? Yeah, I mean, it's a really good question. And I think it's a tough question just because it's uncharted territory. Uh, from what I've looked at, it seems like it would be possible to potentially move to like a four-man rotation, um, something of that nature. When you think about the innings that are going to be put on guys' arms, I mean, if we're talking about a season that starts in July and let's say it's 80 to 100 games, 
you know, um, having, having guys who have gone that bulk before, um, you know, pitching every four days, as long as they're able to make that adjustment, because they obviously have their routines, you know, what they do each, each day in between their starts to get ready. And so as long as they're able to make that adjustment, it could be, uh, it could be certainly a possibility and something to consider. I think there's a lot of really interesting conversations generally just about pitchers and how their value may or may not change given the shortened season, the possibility of more variance. Does that make aces, you know, um, more valuable uh, or does it mean that you're more likely to catch lightning in a bottle later on in the draft? I don't know if I have an answer quite yet, but this is certainly another really interesting thing to look at. And I think most importantly to be considering you know, if we do have a season this year is to be thinking and reading and trying to figure out which theory you buy into, whether that's actually something that's going to happen or not. I don't know. What do you think, Baba? The way I've been looking at it so far, it kind of has a, um, it has a couple of different ways to look at it is if they're going to have the multiple double headers, are they staying in Arizona? So if there's multiple double headers, I think you're going to get maybe like four to five man rotations. You might get some swing starters, Going more, you might have some more opener situations coming up. So I think a lot of those like middle reliever types and whatnot are going to be very, very interesting. Something to keep an eye on in that respect. Um, and I think I think relievers just in general are going to have a bigger impact. He was asking starters per se, but I, I think there's more more to uh, to look into when we get a better idea. But I think a shortened season, I think it does bring more guys like the Lazaros of the world, some injury guys that weren't on the table makes them more relevant, um, you know, with the Yankees per se, Paxton could be back. And we were all excited about, you know, uh, Montgomery and maybe another starter. It could change things up there. So I'm on, I'm on the uh, idea that maybe it makes, you know, your, your top three, maybe four guys, very important. And then the back end of the rotation, maybe have like makeshift two or three guys with openers and a couple swingmen involved there. I could see being more of an impact on a shortened season because they're going to expand the rosters and, and put more pitching in. So that's how I would approach it for now, but we shall see. All righty then. Um, let's go to Professor Pickles at RIP Duncan. Do you prefer Kevin Biggio or Byron Buxton more in keeper leagues? Um, for me, it really depends. I mean, I think OBP is the only place where I would probably – um, lean Biggio potentially. I probably would lean Biggio. I think they're pretty similar age. I mean, Biggio was a was an older prospect when he came up. Yeah, Buxton was so young. Obviously, the injuries with Buxton, but I think the speed is the you know Biggio steals fourteen stolen bases, but I think Buxton's speed is a little bit. Um, is a better skill. I think his power is a better skill as well. And from a hit tool perspective, like Biggio, you know, my biggest concern with Biggio is if you look, when you look at his max exit velo, it's one of the lowest max exit velos, especially among guys who hit a decent amount of home runs. Like he's very low. I think it's like 104 miles per hour. And so without a, a significant change in bat speed or improving that max exit velocity, I see, um, I don't necessarily see the the power or the batting average being elite because I don't think the batted ball quality will be elite or even very good. And so that's a major concern I have. And he's also so passive at the plate. So I think what I'd just say is to not go on and on is in a batting average league, I like Buxton more. I think in an OBP league, I would probably lean Biggio just because that OBP is so strong. 
Um, and he also doesn't right now at least have those injury concerns that Buxton has. Yeah, I'm 100% in agreement with you. I really think that Biggio, you said it, and we've talked about it before, if he could get more aggressive at the plate, I think it would change him tremendously. I think it, it could definitely benefit in a very, very good way. So it be something to watch with him. One of these days it'll all pop. And Buxton, man, it's it, it's a broken record. Just stay healthy. Like It could be crazy what Buxton could do if he stayed healthy. Um, Professor Pickles has another question. And I think this kind of can go back with our you know pitching on a short season thing. Spencer Howard or Lance McCullers have more upside going forward. Yeah, I mean, this is a tough one for me just because I'm not um, – I mean, I mean, I know a lot of people who do prospect work and have very high opinions of Spencer Howard, so certainly he could be really, really good. Uh, for this season, I would definitely lean McCullers just because the innings pitched is a little bit less of a concern. Um you know, I think that's the major thing for me on McCullers is he has been good before, but has he really been great before? Not that much. And so, you know, let's see, like Howard, he only threw 60, 70 innings pitched, you know, in 2019. So his max innings pitched is 112. So for this year, I would definitely lean McCullers just because I think you know, better team that he's around. Obviously, he's coming back from Tommy John, but he's done it before uh, where Howard's a little bit more of a wild card. If it was a full season, um, I mean, based on where they're going in drafts, I think Howard, I'd have him in either case because I think people are paying way too high of a price for McCullers. But if you're just talking like, uh, you know, side by side, not not taking value into consideration, I would say McCullers for this year, because of the shortened season, but I think Howard in the longer term is probably a guy, um, you know, that I, that I might lean towards just because I don't think McCullers has been, um, I don't know. I think he's overrated, but maybe I'm wrong. Well, I'm a big McCullers fan, but on this question, I actually want Spencer Howard, uh, especially on a shortened season. Uh, we know there's really no innings limit on a shortened season because he should be able to give you a hundred to 120 innings, which should get you to the finish line. And, Reports came out right before the end of spring that Howard has a great spot to make the rotation. I think an even better spot now because the idea was to baby him and bring him up maybe you know a month or two into the season. Now they don't have to worry about it. You can rock and roll because the service time thing's out the window and everything. So I think Howard can be let loose right out the gate. Where McCullers is, Houston was taking it super safe. Like he had a maybe one inning pitched in spring training. I know he's bounced back from this before, but in the grand scheme of things, sixty innings, seventy innings. I don't, I don't think they let him go loose. Right out, right out the gate this year, and still seventy innings could be tremendous for Lance McCullers. But at the same time, the Astros have so many arms they can kind of miss a start here, do different things with them. I really like Spencer Howard. I think the upside is tremendous with him. Big time pitching prospect. Sure, never done it in the bigs. We can get ugly at times. We never know for sure. But the overall stuff and pedigree that that Spencer Howard brings to the table, I think, I think is better than Lance McCullers. And on a season going into it, where Howard uh, has done it recently. I, I'm going to go with Howard on this one over McCullers. All right. Hungry Hobbits at Tim underscore Acre asks, and it's a fun one because you're a Brian Reynolds guy. I'm a Daniel Murphy guy. Uh, am I crazy for thinking Brian Reynolds is the next Daniel Murphy? Not late bloomer version, but folks haven't caught on yet. What's your thoughts on that, Toby? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting thing. I mean, the crazy thing is that, you know, Reynolds is going way higher in drafts than, Murphy is. I mean, Murphy's going early 300s, I think, late 200s, and Reynolds is going around pick 180. 
the thing that I'll say is I really I do like Reynolds a lot. I actually I may only have one share of him though in all my leagues just because I'm generally not going after an outfielder at that point in the draft. But the one thing that I'll add on Reynolds, I do uh, really like the talent. I think he's going to hit in the middle of the Pirates lineup. And while that lineup might not be great, he's going to get a ton of opportunities. He's hit at every single level, including the majors last year. So I really like what he's been able to do. The thing that I think I'm really intrigued about is the speed. Um, This is something that I didn't quite realize about uh, about our uh, our buddy Brian Reynolds, but when you look at his 90-foot running splits, and Jeff Zimmerman has done some research over the break um, or over the uh, offseason about what's more indicative of stolen bases or what's correlated more strongly with stolen bases, is it sprint speed uh, or is it time to first? And it was actually time to first. When you look at the guys around Brian Reynolds um, in time to first, you know, he ran uh, three three nine one ninety foot sprint speed. You got Jose Ramirez, Tommy Pham, Yuan Mancata, Ramon Laureano, Nico Goodrum uh, in uh, in front of him, and then behind him you have Dansby Swanson, Jonathan VR, Willie Adamas, Andrew Benintendi, Mookie Betts, Bo Bichette, Lorenzo Kane, Avisiel Garcia. So all double digit stolen base guys, and the Pirates have said that they are going to try to steal bases this year. Now, whether they actually end up doing that or not is another thing, but let's say they do steal bases. I think Reynolds could definitely be a surprising double digit stolen base guy. So if you look at a guy who could get, you know, a 300 batting average and then hit you 15 to 20 home runs and steal you 10 bases in the middle of the pirates lineup, I think that's a ton of value he could bring to fantasy owners where he's going at pick 180. He's already a value. And if he adds speed, I think it could be even even greater. So he's a guy that I really like a lot. I think the comp's okay. I mean, uh, Murphy, um, yeah, I think it's a good comp. Yeah, batting average, limited power, but not a total power drain. I think that Reynolds does have speed on his side a little bit, and I do worry about Murphy being platooned against uh, lefties like he did towards the end of last year, but he does have that big contract, so maybe that won't happen. So I like Reynolds a lot. I do think that Murphy is a decent value going where he's going but what do you say you about uh, the Murphy Reynolds comp? I think it's a really interesting one. I never really thought about it, but when you look at like just overall batting average hit tool in that respect, very similar. Uh, not a ton of power each. Obviously, Murphy, when he, when he started elevating the ball more, we saw more power, but it was only for a couple seasons. And even in Colorado, it's kind of been brought back to earth. Uh, you said you, you mentioned it with Brian Reynolds running more. That's a given. Uh, Daniel Murphy really, I don't remember ever being a massive running guy. When you look at overall hitting, you know, average, you can score runs, drive in runs from time to time. There are a lot of similarities there. And if you maybe look back at we'll look we'll look back someday and see Brian Reynolds at this point in his career where Daniel Murphy is, they might be very similar. We'll have to wait and see. But uh, they are very, very similar batting average assets and whatnot there. So I think it's interesting. I have a lot of Murphy in places I, I miss out on first baseman just because I'm trying to buy back on it and I've said it before, if I do grab Daniel Murphy, then I'm grabbing like a, a Jesus Aguilar or someone else pretty quickly to give me a backup plan. But uh, no problem with a Daniel Murphy there. But Brian Reynolds, very, very interesting. I don't have a lot of him, but I don't disagree with it either. All right, a couple more here. Kind of answered this one earlier, so I just want to throw it out there to let him know. Uh, David Katz at West Katz. Sandy Alcantara, Pablo Lopez, either, both, neither. For me, 
already talked about him. Sandy Alcantara is the guy I want out of, out of these two. I don't mind Pablo Lopez, but I, have, I don't have him anywhere. Uh, Sandy Alcantara already professed my uh, my hope for him. What say you, Toby? Yeah, I think this one's pretty clearly uh, Alcantara for me. Um, Lopez just he has he wasn't good. Like he hasn't been good. Uh, his best pitch, his changeup, you know, is a decent pitch. Seventeen point two percent swinging strike rate, forty five point eight percent O swing. So that's really good. But even with that pitch performing at its best, you know, that we have ever seen from Lopez. Um, and I know that his velocity was up early on in the year. You're still looking at a guy with a 509 ERA, you know, a 428 FIP, uh, 124 whip, not striking out guys at all. Alcantara doesn't strike out guys either, but he has more volume. Um, I mean, already in his career than Lopez really has um, throughout his. Uh, you look at, um, yeah, XFIT 437. So, like, even when his pitches were performing better than they've ever performed in the past, Lopez was still really bad and borderline uh, unrosterable. And so Alcantara is a guy that I want on my team uh, this year. I think he's decent value going where he's going, you know, around pick 250, um, something like that. So for me, it's Alcantara as well, pretty clearly. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, Last listener question we got here, and I want to save this one for last because it's kind of an interesting uh, debate or not debate, but it's philosophy talk here. Uh, Nick G at S-N-G-E-H-L-0-1. He asked, merits of a utility-only batting lineup, removing positional eligibility completely. Why is it good or bad? Like, what's your th- – I, I guess I've never really thought of it that deep because it kind of would be more like the pitching where there's not starters or relievers, just all pitchers. What mm-hmm. would your thoughts be if it was just utility or basically you basically you have like 10 batters, any 10 batters you want? Well, I mean – uh, I think it eliminates a decent amount of strategy, right? Yeah, so like you're, 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 you're eliminating strategy from the game and I'm not sure what benefit that necessarily has. Like I'd rather like if I was in a deep league and it was more like, ah, no, I have to get these guys that I don't even want to have to be bothering with. I'd rather cut the number of teams in my league down than just do a util only because I think, you know, the reason why it works for pitchers is you've got to balance still, depending on the, the type of game you play, like you've got to balance your starting pitchers and your and your relief pitchers in order to be successful in the different categories, right? Because they theoretically help out in different in different ones more than the other guys do. Um, and so I just think you're eliminating strategy. So I don't really see what the point is outside of eliminating strategy. I think similarly, and not a knock on points leagues, but like, you know, if you're interested more in um, you know, like, um, you know, I think for me, like a points league, just like a straight up points league is not similar to Utah only, but the sense that you're, you don't have to worry about where you're getting your speed or where you're getting your batting average. You're worried about like the bottom line, which is how many points per game or per points per plate appearance or points for the season is each player generating. And then you make your decisions based on that. Also thinking about position so I just think you're eliminating strategy. So I don't necessarily see how it makes the game more fun. But if it makes the game more fun for you and your friends, then by all means, you know, do that. Yeah, it does take strategy kind of away, but at the same time, I think it makes it interesting that I think it makes it more fun that you can maybe go get like four first basemen, or you can kind of the, the strategy of where you get your power from or stuff like that can be different, I guess. 
Uh, I, I, I really have to dig more into it. I, I agree the strategy's gone when you don't have to have specific positions and positional scarcity and all that. That's definitely a thing. Like, if I don't have to own a second baseman, that's pretty that's pretty good. No, you don't have to own a catcher. Pretty awesome. Uh, so that's that's pretty cool stuff there. But at the same time, I, I could see it being real fun to uh, to mix and match and, and get wild with, with certain positions or, or options there. So it's an interesting question. That's why I just wanted to bring it up for a second to – to see where everyone stood on it, because I thought it could be quite the interesting uh, mix, I guess, on um, who, how, how to go about it, per se. So I thought that, that hey, was quite interesting. Hey, hey, Bubba, you're saying that if it was all utils, that I wouldn't have to draft JT Realmuto? Yep, you would not have to, because, because he would not be worth much in that league. Oh, man, that sounds like a really, really sad league. <laughs> yeah, your your brand would be completely different there. Ah, shattered. Absolutely shattered. Who knew? Who knew that all it would take was moving to a totally util uh lineup to shatter my uh shatter every strategy I've ever developed around JT Realmuto. <laughs> it's so funny. So funny. Um but that's going to wrap us up for episode 33 of the podcast. Any final thoughts, Toby? Uh, no, another blast. Uh, always enjoy uh, potting. Everybody stay safe out there. Keep that social distancing. Let's hope that it, uh, it continues to work and um, that we have baseball back as soon as possible, as, as long as it's safe to do that, of course. Yeah, as long as it's safe, definitely. That's the one thing I keep telling everybody. I'm very optimistic. I want baseball back more than ever, but if it's not safe, let's be real. Like, let's just, I'm, not, I'm not that crazy. Uh, but I have a feeling that I have a feeling we'll get it back. Just think about it. Japan's got baseball going. Uh, Korea is going to be starting up shortly. There, there's ways to make it work. They're showing us there's ways to make it work. So let's just, just have faith. That's all I have to say. Just have faith. Um, we, we can make this happen. But until next time, Toby's on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. I'm at BDNTrick, episode 33 in the books. Catch you guys later. <laughs>